So today we're coming to the end of our four-week series on foundational spiritual rhythms that we're pursuing here at Grace Church as we head into the fall. We've talked about the Word and about prayer, and last week about community, and this morning we're talking about mission or evangelism. And I just have to confess that evangelism has not been one of my strong points as a follower of Jesus. In the past, the thought of talking to somebody about the gospel and you know, meeting somebody I didn't know who doesn't know Jesus, it would fill me with insecurity and fear and timidity. And, uh, and so because of that, I, for too long, I just kind of pulled back. I was very involved in church work, loved connecting with other believers, but just felt really timid and fearful about reaching out with love to people who didn't know Jesus and sharing the good news of Jesus with them. But I can tell you, God has changed my heart from those past years. And the, the level of timidity and insecurity and fear has really diminished, nowhere near what it used to be. And a sense of love and excitement and eagerness and joy in reaching out to people who don't know Jesus and telling them the good news of Jesus, that's what God has done in my heart through the Word. He's changed me. And I'm praying that God will use His Word to, to give you a, a, a taste of that as well, if that's what you need. Just ask yourself, what do you think and feel about being missional, about being evangelistic, about you reaching out to someone who, who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, doesn't know forgiveness, doesn't know the presence of God in their lives? How do you feel about reaching out to them and sharing the good news with them? Now, some of you here, I would guess, are, are not yet followers of Jesus. And we're glad you're here. And I would guess, though, that maybe some of you who aren't yet followers of Jesus, you might actually be offended at the idea of evangelism. Because in your mind, evangelism means one person imposing their views on another. Well, I want to share with you, and I hope you'll see this morning, that is not what Jesus intended by evangelism. We are not interested in imposing or coercing or proselytizing in some way. That is not at all what Jesus is talking about. So I hope you'll leave here with a different picture of what followers of Jesus are about when it comes to evangelism. Others of you are followers of Jesus, but I would guess many of you are like I've been, and that is you're just petrified with fear at the thought of talking to somebody who doesn't know the Lord Jesus. Timidity, shyness, nervousness, and so you, you really hold back from that. And, and I'm praying that God will use his word this morning, that, that you will experience eagerness and joy and excitement rising and timidity and insecurity and fear diminishing. And there will be a heart change that the Holy Spirit brings into your heart through the scriptures this morning. So let's turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. This is one of the passages that God used in my heart years ago to start to change me. It revolutionized the way I thought about evangelism, telling other people about Jesus. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now Romans, this book of Romans, 16 chapters, it was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome around the year 57 A.D., and one of Paul's purposes for writing this letter was to explain why he wanted to go plant a church in Spain. He was hoping they would help him on his way, and he wanted to explain why he's going to go 
plant a church in Spain, and he gives a summary of his reason in the very first chapter, these verses, verses 14 and 15. Look at what he says. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So here Paul's explaining why he's going to go, why he wants to go preach the gospel in Spain, and then also on the way to Spain, preach the gospel there in Rome. So here's his explanation. So to unpack these two verses, I want to start with this question. How did Paul feel about sharing the gospel with people? And it's right there in verse 15. You saw it, right? Underline that word, eager. He says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul's eager to preach the gospel. Now, to get in touch with that word eager, think about something you're eager to do. Maybe you're eager to get your morning cup of coffee, or maybe you're eager to go on your next vacation that you have planned, or maybe you're eager to try some new restaurant or some new food. Like, I had my first camel meat burger two nights ago, okay? So maybe you're eager to, to do one of those things, and what it means to be eager is that you're excited about it, you're looking forward to it, you want to do it. And Paul says he was eager about preaching the gospel, which means he was excited about sharing the gospel. He wanted to share the gospel with people. He was really moved and interested, motivated to meet people who don't know the Lord Jesus and give them the good news of who Jesus is. So are you eager about sharing the gospel? Some of you may be. Some of you may not be, but I'm praying that God will use this passage to cause all, all of us to become more eager. That, that again, the eagerness, will grow, the eagerness will grow and the fear and insecurity and shyness will diminish this morning. So let's ask Paul why. Why, Paul, are you so eager to share the gospel with others? And again, the answer is right there in verse 15. Notice the word so at the beginning of verse 15. Okay, and just a little grammar lesson, you all know this. The word so shows that verse 14 gives the reason for verse 15. So verse 14 is the reason for why Paul is so eager to share the gospel with people. So let's read the two verses and see how that works. Verse 14, I'm under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, that is for that reason, because of that obligation, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So the reason Paul's so eager about telling other people about Jesus is because he sees that he's under obligation. Now that word obligation has the idea of being in debt to someone. It's the idea of owing someone something. So a question we have to figure out from these verses is, who was Paul in debt to? Who was it that Paul owed. And some commentators think that Paul is saying he was in debt, he was obligated to God. Because God had called Paul to be an apostle, therefore Paul had an obligation to fulfill his apostolic calling and to share the gospel. And it's, that is true that Paul was called to be an apostle and he had an apostolic calling and he therefore was 
obligated by God to preach the gospel. But that's not what Paul's saying here. Notice he, he doesn't say he's obligated to God. Did you see who he was obligated to? Verse 14, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now, those are not insulting words back in Paul's culture. The word barbarians could simply have the meaning someone who didn't speak Greek. And the word foolish was a word that could simply refer to those who hadn't been educated, hadn't been schooled. So Paul is saying this, I'm under obligation both to those who speak Greek and to those who don't speak Greek. That covers everybody, right? Both to those who've been schooled and those who have not been schooled. That covers everybody. So Paul here is saying that he feels an obligation. He senses that he is indebted to everyone. Now just think about this. When, when Paul walked out of his front door and he saw a neighbor, he would have thought to himself, I'm indebted to him. I owe him. When Paul was walking through the marketplace, if he saw a woman there at the marketplace, he would have thought, I am indebted to her. I owe her. And when Paul thought about Spain, faraway Spain where there were no churches, one of the things Paul thought was, I'm indebted to them. I owe them. Now, what does that mean? It sounds kind of strange. Have you ever thought about the fact that, I mean, I would guess none of us, when you see somebody out on the streets, you're thinking, I owe them, unless, unless you do. Pay them back if you do. But, but otherwise, we don't think that we owe everyone. But Paul, every single person Paul saw, part of his thinking was, I'm indebted to them. I owe them. Now, what kind of debt did Paul owe them? My father helped me understand this. This is so helpful to make this distinction. Because there's two very different kinds of debts. One kind of debt is like a burdensome debt. You're weighed down by it. You have to fulfill this obligation. Another kind of debt is like, yes, I get to go fulfill this debt. So let's, let's make the distinction. This kind of debt is where someone has loaned you something and now you owe it back to them. Uh, let's say, for instance, you wanted to buy a new TV sound system set and it cost me 3,000 Durham. And, you know, you, you don't have the money, and so let's say you do what you shouldn't do, okay? You put it on your credit card, and you go ahead and buy it. Now, the credit card company has just loaned you 3,000 Durham, and so now you have an obligation to pay them that 3,000 Durham back. They've, they've loaned you something, and now you owe it back to them. Now, that's not what Paul's talking about here. Just think about it. Has everyone in the world loaned Paul something that now he owes back to them? No, that makes no sense at all. But there's another kind of debt. You know, this kind of debt, right? You're paying back the credit card company. You know how that one feels, right? But there's another kind of debt where you're just like excited about fulfilling this obligation. And what is that kind of debt? It's, it's not where someone loans you something so you owe it back to them. That's over here. This kind of debt is very different. It's where you have received something of incredible value, which someone else desperately needs. You've received something of great value. Someone else desperately needs it. Now, there's a powerful illustration of this in 2 Kings chapter 7. You don't need to necessarily turn there, but like read it this afternoon if you have time. 2 Kings chapter 7. Here's the story. 
the king of Syria, wanted to conquer Samaria. So he came down with thousands of soldiers, and they surrounded, they laid siege to Samaria in order to starve them into submission. Brutal warfare tactics. So thousands of soldiers surrounding Samaria, no one can come in or out, and they are week after week, month after month, their food has run out, and they are starving, and people in Samaria are starting to die from starvation. Horrifying situation. But one day, Elijah, the man of God, shouts out, Thus saith the Lord, Yes, there's not much food here now, but tomorrow we will be full of food. People scoffed, people laughed. But what happened? That night, four lepers were talking together. They're thinking, listen, guys, if we stay here in Samaria, we're going to die. There's no food here. We're all going to starve to death. But what if we broke out of the city and went into the enemy camp? Now, they might kill us. Okay, we would be, we'll be dead if we stay here. They might kill us. But what if they decide to use us as slaves? At least they'll feed us. We'll be alive. We have nothing to lose. Let's take the risk. And so that night, they sneak out of Samaria, cross over enemy lines into the enemy camp. And here they are, this enemy camp where thousands of soldiers have been, and no one is there. There's no soldiers. They've all fled away because God made them hear the sound like a massive army marching towards them. And they thought, the Sumerians have hired some mercenary armies to come and destroy us. Let's get out of here. And so they fled, leaving all their food. And so imagine the lepers walking into this camp where thousands of soldiers have been. Meat is sizzling on the barbecue. There's pots full of bubbling lentil stew. There's stacks of bread there. There's skins full of wine. Think if they would have feasted and feasted and feasted until they could have eaten no more. But then it dawns on them. We have an obligation to those back in Samaria. We are feasting. They are starving. Can you, now, again, this obligation would be like, okay, if we have to go back and tell them, we will, right? Think of how they would have felt. I think, I doubt they could have run. They would have eaten so much, so they would have waddled as quickly as they could all the way back to Samaria and said, there's food. The soldiers are gone. Come on out. Enough food for all of us. And they would have had such joy and such excitement and such thrill in being able to fulfill this obligation. Now, you, you feel it's an obligation, right? It's like you've received something of great value, which someone else desperately needs. So yes, there's an obligation, but it's not a burdensome obligation. Okay, I guess I'm supposed to. It would be a joyful obligation. It would be an exciting obligation. Who's going to be the first one to break into the gates and say, the soldiers are gone, we have food. I mean, how exciting would that be? Now, with that in mind, look back at Romans chapter 1. That's the kind of debt Paul is talking about in this passage. Paul knows that in Jesus, he has received something of great value, which everyone else desperately needs. Everyone else desperately needs Jesus Christ. And so Paul feels a real moral obligation, a debt. He's received something of great value. They desperately need it. I'm obligated to share with them, but it would not have been a burdensome obligation. 
That's why he says, so I am eager. I'm, I'm obligated to both Jew, both Greeks and non-Greeks, to both schooled and unschooled, so I am eager to preach the gospel to those who don't know Christ. So how about us? Ask yourself honestly, this last week, how often did you have an, an eagerness in your heart about telling someone else about Jesus Christ? Has the, has the eagerness been high, or, or did that get like squashed out by fear and timidity and self-consciousness? Okay, so what, what I'm praying God's going to do now is he's going he's to lift up the eagerness and, and reduce the fear and the insecurity. So let's ask, how can we grow in our eagerness? How can we grow? If we're not feeling this eagerness that Paul feels, what's, what's the problem? What's going on? And again, the answer is in verses 14 and 15. Again, look at this passage. If we're not feeling the eagerness of verse 15, it's because we're not seeing the obligation of verse 14. That's why. If we're not experiencing the eagerness of verse 15, then we're not... We're not seeing, understanding the, the obligation of verse 14. And the reason we're not seeing the obligation of verse 14 is because we're not understanding very clearly that we've received something of infinite value, which everyone else desperately needs. That's the reason. So let me just be as honest as I can. If you don't sense an eagerness about telling other people about Jesus, you're not seeing Jesus very clearly and or you're not seeing that other people desperately need Jesus. And there's good news, though, and that is if, if we'll take time to think about what do we have in Christ? What do we have in Jesus Christ? And if we take time to ponder that and then to reflect on the fact that others don't have that, your heart will change. The Holy Spirit will come and bring about a change in your heart. Your heart could even change this morning. That's what I want us to do right now. I, I want us to to, to think, what do we have in Christ? And the list could go on and on and on, but I just want to give you six bullet points of what we have in Jesus Christ, how we're feasting on Jesus Christ, and then have us think about the fact that people who don't have Christ are starving without what we have in Christ, and to ask the Lord to change our hearts, give us this eagerness. So what do we have in Christ? First, we have certain knowledge of God. Here's what I mean. Jesus Christ is both fully man and fully God. And he is God in the flesh. He became man. God became a man in Jesus, in history, so that we could see him. And so that we could read our Bibles with eyewitness testimony about him. And so in Jesus, we have certain knowledge about God. Jesus, we could see God because Jesus is God. We can listen to him teaching because his words are God's very words. In Jesus, we have certain knowledge of God. So see, we're feasting. We know for sure who God is, what God's plan is, why we're here, what our problem is, how we get forgiven. We have certain knowledge of God. We're feasting on this certain knowledge of God. But everyone else who doesn't have Christ... They don't know who God is. They don't, they're just confused about spirituality. They might try this or meditate this or pray this. and just There's just confusion. And so they're starving with no real, true knowledge of God. And so we owe them 
Because we have the good news of Jesus through whom they will receive certain knowledge of who God is. We owe them. First point. Second point. Oh, this is good news. We have complete payment for our sins. We've all sinned against God. God is just. He must punish sin. We've all faced God's judgment forever. But God loves us. And at great cost to himself, he sent Jesus. And Jesus suffered in a horrifying way, receiving the very punishment we deserve for our sins. And so that by trusting Jesus, all your sins were punished in him, and you are completely forgiven. Past sins, present sins, future sins, forgiven. We have complete payment for our sins. And so we are feasting. All who are trusting Christ, we're feasting on forgiveness. The assurance of forgiveness. No punishment ever from God. Just God's love and care and mercy and grace now and forever. Never any condemnation. We're feasting on the forgiveness that we have in God. But everyone else is starving because they face the judgment of God. They face eternal punishment from God. We are feasting with complete forgiveness. They are starving, facing certain punishment. We owe them. We've got the best news in the world, which they desperately need. We owe them. Third point. We have the Holy Spirit. You've experienced this, if you're, if you're trusting Jesus. The moment we, we trust Jesus from the heart, trusting him as our Savior, as our Lord, as our heart-satisfying treasure, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. God the third person of the Trinity, God, God the Spirit, comes and indwells us. And by the Holy Spirit, we have times when we're in worship, or when we're reading God's Word, or when we're praying, when He so pours Jesus' love into our hearts that we are so satisfied, we don't need anything else. We're filled. We're satisfied. We're at peace. There's joy. We have that fullness. From time to time as we're seeking the Lord, he gives us that by the Holy Spirit. So we're feasting on heart fullness given to us in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We're feasting on that. But everyone else is starving without the Holy Spirit. Their hearts are empty. They're hoping this vacation will satisfy them or buying this item will fill them or, or this new relationship might make them happy, but they will never find fullness apart from knowing God's love in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so they're starving and we owe them because we are feasting with the presence of the Holy Spirit and they are starving in their emptiness. Fourth, we have freedom from fear. This is beautiful. Whenever we are worried or afraid, we can turn to Jesus. I just experienced this this last week. So thinking about long-term financial questions, and this is kind of a weak point for me. I start to get worried. And, and listen, when you turn to Jesus Christ and say, help me to see more clearly who you are, he will help you. And I, and I, it just, I saw in the word more clearly, he loves me. He's in complete control of everything. He's promised to, to work every detail of my future out to bring me the greatest joy in him. He'll take care of all the financial needs, whatever that means, much little. He will take care of it all. I can be completely at peace because he has my future in his hands. And worry and fear lifts and peace and contentment comes. And no follower of Jesus 
ever needs to be sunk into worry or fear for very long. Maybe there's a stronger way to put that. But you get what I'm saying, right? We all struggle with worry and fear, but it doesn't need to stay. He delivers us, I think it's Psalm 34, from all of our fears. We're feasting in the freedom from fear and worry that we can have in Christ. But everybody else is starving, bound up in fears, bound up in worries, trying hard to stay positive. Fears keep coming back in. They're starving in their burdens of fears and worries, and we owe them because we're feasting on the peace that comes through Christ. We have the good news of the gospel to share with them, and they need to hear it from us. We owe them. Fifth, comfort for all our sorrows. When we're heartbroken, you've experienced this, we can turn to Jesus Christ and he will, in, in his perfect timing and perfect degree, perfect amount, perfect way, fill us with his love so that our sorrows and heartbreak is, is comforted. We are met by him. I mean, Jan and I experienced this me for the first time. Early in our marriage, we discovered we were not able to get pregnant. Difficult time. Months, years of disappointment and, and heartbreak. But, but part of the gift of that season, God, by the way, he brought us two wonderful children to adopt, and uh, Anna and Brad are incredible. But it's not only were Anna and Brad a gift from that time, but a gift during that time was learning how, knowing Jesus Christ, coming to him with heartbreak and sorrow, he comforts us. And his comfort is, it's worth everything. You've, you've tasted this, right? The comfort of the Lord Jesus, like, oh, you are beautiful. We can feast on the comfort that God gives us in our heartbreak. No follower of Jesus. I mean, again, heartbreak is real, and Jesus can comfort. doesn't mean all the tears will go away, but, you know, you can weep with, we can weep and be comforted at the same time. Okay, more to say about that, but, you know, it's not that, oh, we're all just, no, you can weep and be comforted at the same time, but it's a feast of his comfort. It's a feast. But everybody else is starving. Nowhere to turn with their sorrow. No way to find comfort for their heartbreak. We owe them because we have the good news of Jesus. Your, your neighbor, heartbroken. We have the good news. People at your workplace. One last gift we have in Jesus. The assurance of going to heaven. No fear of death like we sang this morning, right? No guilt in life, no fear of death. This is the power of Christ. We will be raised from the dead. No fear of death. Even though we've sinned against God and deserve hell, Jesus took our hell upon himself. And by trusting Jesus, we are forgiven and transformed and filled with him. And so we have absolute assurance of heaven forever. We do not need to fear death, and eternity at all. We will never face God's judgment. We will enter heaven to have the joy of being in God's presence, worshiping him with all the redeemed from every nation, tongue, and tribe. That's our certain destiny because of Christ. But think about this. This, this is haunting. Everyone else is facing eternal judgment from God. They're starving with that fear and rightly so. I mean, it is a fear that they should have. 
But see, we owe them because we can give them the good news of Jesus who will set them free from that fear because they'll be completely forgiven and assured of heaven with God in the joy of his presence forever. We're feasting in our assurance of eternity and they are starving with the fears of judgment and we owe them because we have the good news of Jesus. See how this works? We're feasting. I mean, think about those lepers. Four of them, right? Feasting there. Amazing. The soldiers are all gone. They've all fled. Here, all the food is here. We can eat. How excited they would have been to be eating and then how excited they would have been to go back into Samaria and say, I've got the best news in the world. Let me tell you. And, and see, that's how it is with us. You have the news that your neighbor needs. You have the news that your fellow work associates need. You have the news that your family members who don't know Christ need. And just like those lepers would have gone back into that city as quickly as they could with eagerness and with joy, we have the news that they need. And so we can talk to people with love and with eagerness and with joy because it's what they need. We have an obligation. It's not a heavy, burdensome obligation. It is an eager, joy-filled obligation. Years back, Jan and I were planting a church in America, and at the very beginning, I was working in real estate, helping people buy and sell houses to, to pay our bills. And everybody else in the office, I think, that I was working with, I don't think anybody else there knew the good news of Jesus. And this was a time when God had been increasing my eagerness and shrinking my fear and timidity, because I, I, I saw I was feasting and they're starving. And so I was praying one morning, God, show me what could I do today to to fulfill this obligation? What can I do today to, to tell somebody about who you are? And he brought this idea into my mind of inviting a couple out to lunch. This couple, they were both working, their husband and wife team, and we had just finished a very difficult real estate transaction. I was representing the seller there, representing the buyer. It took a lot of work. And it closed escrow. We both got paid. Woohoo! So I said, I'll just take him out to lunch and thank them. So I I said, okay, I'm going to invite them out to lunch and get to know them, and who knows where the conversation will go. So I, I walked up to them that day at the office. Now, the, the, the gentleman, his name is Lonnie. He's a bodybuilder, always wore black suits, and had this Fu Manchu mustache, very intimidating-looking guy. Uh, his wife was just a sweet lady, and so I, I walked up to them. I will never forget what they said. I, I said, I'd like to have lunch with you, take you out to lunch, to thank you for this real estate deal we just finished. And they said, that's amazing. We've been wanting to talk to you. We've heard that you do Bible studies with people here in the office, and we have lots of spiritual questions. So yes, let's have lunch. So I'm not sure if we had lunch that day, but we had lunch either that day or soon thereafter. And once a week then, from that point on, we met at Carl's Jr., okay, and studied the scriptures. And they moved from starving to feasting. Still good friends of ours today, live in Arizona. But see... The joy that comes when you see God work in that day. Now, every situation will not turn out like that, right? There will be times where it's costly, all right? Now, again, in this country, we want to be wise, right? We want to be humble. We want to be bold. We want to obey the laws. No, no proselytizing here. But see, you, you can, with wisdom and in appropriate settings, share your story of who Jesus is, what's happened in your own life. That's not proselytizing. So we can do that humbly, 
gently. Okay, so not every situation will end up like my situation with, with Lonnie and Melanie, but you will have some that end up that way. And even the ones that don't, you will walk away with the presence of God increased in your heart. The spirit of glory and of God will rest upon you. 1 Peter 4, 14. Even if you're reviled, Peter says, the spirit of glory and of God will rest upon you. It's a win-win. So church, Grace Church, listen. We are not here, any of us, mostly for our jobs. Now, you're here for your job, okay? But it's not the main reason you're here. You are here for your job. Work hard at your job. Work excellently at your job. Be a servant at your job. Do your job well for the glory of Jesus Christ. But we're also here for the sake of, as in any place, any country, any place, to help starving people come to the feast. Helping starving people come to the feast. So let me give you three steps to take. How do we move ahead? First, regularly pray over all that we have in Christ. So I would encourage you to do this. This is why we're not more eager. Because we get preoccupied with this or with that or the other thing, and we lose sight of the feast that's ours in Christ. So I would encourage you, make a list of... Um, just I've, 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 list, I've listed six of them here. But make a list of scriptures that describe all that we have in Christ. All that Christ is to us. All the blessings we have in Christ. And take time regularly to pray over that list. Because as you do that, you will feel your eagerness rise and your fear and insecurity shrink. So regularly pray over all that we have in Christ. Second, ask Jesus to give you wisdom as to what you should do. He will. You stop and you pray, say, Father, what could I do today to connect with my neighbor? What could I do to reach out to this person at work? Give me wisdom. He will bring thoughts into your mind. Say, oh, okay, that's, I'll try that. And then as you step out, you'll see God work. Ask Jesus to give you wisdom as to what you should do. And then third, this is important, get trained and encouraged by joining a home group. It is so helpful to be surrounded by brothers and sisters who are all seeking to grow together in advancing the gospel. It is so helpful. We can learn from each other. We can motivate each other. We can encourage each other. And see, in our home groups, we work on how to share our testimonies, how to share the gospel. We do some evangelism training in our home groups. And in our home groups, we, we will plan events from time to time where we can invite our friends to come so they can meet each other, meet, meet our other friends, and maybe some of our friends could share their testimonies with our friends, and it's just a wonderful time of just having a great time together doing something. In fact, Zach's home group, right? You guys are Officers Club home group is barbecue tonight. Awesome. Okay, so I know we mentioned this last week. Join a home group. Lots of new people came to our home groups this last week. Very exciting. Everyone, get into a home group. So think about this. You are feasting. Others are starving. You have the good news of this fantastic, lavish banquet that they can enjoy. Eagerly. Let's eagerly share the gospel with people. And if you're not feeling that eagerness, if you're still feeling overwhelmed by timidity or insecurity, pray over all that you have in Christ. Open up the menu of the Bible and read all that you have in Christ. Pray over those until your eagerness rises and your fear and insecurity diminishes. And then go and share with starving people the good news of the feast.
Let's pray together. Why don't you stand? Father, I ask that you'd bring your power even more upon us right now. We're all in different places. I pray for anyone here who has not yet come to the place where they have put their trust in Christ so they can feast. And I pray, Lord, that right now they would, they would sense the aroma of the feast of knowing Christ, knowing forgiveness of sins, knowing you, living God, and that today they would put their trust in Christ and, and move from starving to feasting. Do that, Lord, I pray. I pray for those who are really fearful and feel like they're just too shy or timid to ever be able to share with someone else the good news. And oh, Lord, I pray that you would touch their heart and encourage them, that you have a way for them that'll fit their personality. It'll stretch them, but it'll fit their personality. And Lord, help them just to cry out to you and say, help me, Father. Give me this eagerness and show me the way. And I pray that every one of us, Lord, would leave here today eager, more eager, to share the good news of Jesus with others. So come and work that into our hearts now as we worship.